your ancestral belongings were taken away from you and given to museums. So we're, we're reclaiming a culture that has been really hard pressed and, you know, was threatened with extinction. That's Dr. Pat Carabray, Indigenous composer and head of the School of Music at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. He's the featured guest artist at this year's annual Arizona State Music Teachers Association Conference with Grand Canyon University. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to a new episode of Heart of the Arts. You're an Indigenous composer, head of School of Music at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, and you're a featured guest at the annual Arizona State Music Teachers Association 2023 conference. So I was wondering if you can first give our listeners a little bit about your background and professional trajectory. Yeah, sure. I'll give you the medium-sized version because it's a bit complicated. Um, so I'm I'm a Canadian. Uh, was born in what my my indigenous community thinks of as Red River, um, which a lot of people would call Winnipeg, Manitoba. And I was part of you know this this um, what we call the '60s scoop. Um, although I was born in 1958, so I was a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, so I was taken from my birth family and adopted out to a, a white settler family, um, which, you know, is not so complicated for someone who's Métis like I am, uh, because often we, you know, are, are pretty white looking anyway. And, and mm-hmm. so we, we call we hide in plain sight fairly, fairly easily. So I, I grew up close to my family but you know like about a 10 minute drive away from where they lived um and and only reconnected you know much much later um you know a lot through the help of dna so i grew up in a community knowing that i didn't really have the roots or didn't really know all the details about my family um i knew a, a, a bit but not a lot so i you know i grew up what i like to think of as as very colonized. So I was growing up in a Canadian environment, not really having a a deep cultural connection to my past, like many Canadians who came as immigrants and and were running away from things or trying to get away from things and trying to find a new culture in Canada. Hmm. Same same in America, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I was lucky enough to be recognized as having some musical talent when I was young and I became very connected to that. Went through university um, in Canada and then later in the US I got a PhD in in classical Western music from the City University of New York and then I ended up teaching at a university. I mean I've done a variety of things but mostly a good chunk of that has been working in a university environment but I'm a composer by trade and training so I work a lot with community groups. I work with professional groups. I was composer in residence with the Winnipeg Symphony for a number of years. Um, So I've had a really lovely, varied life, but more in, you know, since the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Canada about, you know, a little over a decade ago, it's been more significant for those of us with Indigenous backgrounds to kind of come out and, and embrace that more publicly. And, and so for many years, I didn't even tell people uh, about my background. So, but, you know, I, I've, I have a wonderful big Métis family as well as my uh, white uh, adopted family. So I'm, I'm very fortunate. 
Wow. You did um, quotes around classical Western music. So how would you, uh, do you have like a different title for it? Or coming from your background, would you give it a different title? Or maybe it's just what you were drawn to and what you studied? Well, I, I, now that's an interesting thing, because I, I think, you know, in the 70s, when I was growing up and, and going into university, you know, like I, in, in my community, the, classical music was not a big thing. You know, it was, you know, I did take classical piano lessons, but I played in a high school band. I did musicals at school. I played in a rock band, you know, and, and, and did that kind of stuff. So for me, I was pretty omnivorous as a, as a musician. I liked all kinds of different music when I was young, but when you go into a university music program, it tends to kind of squeeze you into this focus on the Western European tradition, you know, so, what, you know, and, and I think that's something that music schools are working hard to try and figure out how to get beyond as we get into this new millennium. Mm -hmm. But the traditions of the university programs were pretty much established in the you know 1950s, 1960s, a lot with uh, European post-war immigrants who came to teach in the universities or fairly newly minted, you know, uh, American and, and sometimes Canadian professors, again, who are very grounded in that Western tradition. So I think it's, it's, um, it's something that as a director of a school of music, I'm trying to work with my colleagues to figure out how do we embrace the full range of musics and not just pigeonhole us all into thinking that the best music is any one kind of music. Yeah. How do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> we, um, I, I think we have to be, you know, like I, th I think that naturally people listen to a broad range of music yes. and that there's some funny cultural kind of pressures that at one point made people think that to be successful in society, you had to join a golf club or subscribe to the symphony or whatever, and that you couldn't tell people that you also listen to country music or whatever, yeah. you know? And, and so I, I think that we're getting to a point where it's a much more natural blending of all the different things. You know, people don't like one kind of food usually. I mean, some people right. do, yeah. but I mean, that's a continuum, right? So I like to have all of the things possible to me. Um, and, and particularly as an indigenous composer, I think we have some more complicated challenges because there, there was this, you know, uh, power differential between people in various stratuses of, of the, you know, of the community and indigenous people in particular, I, I mean, not, not just indigenous people, but certainly, you know, BIPOC, the range of BIPOC people who've come to, to and, and claim North America as their home um, have not always been allowed to see what they have as their cultural history to be as significant. And I think that's the big challenge for us now. Yeah. Who would you say were some of your earliest influences? Uh, you know, certainly I grew up with all of the usual pop music influences yeah. and I gravitated towards the more, you know, uh, concert versions of those things. So a lot of the English groups like 
Emerson, Lake and Palmer and yes, and, yeah. and whatever, but also the Doobie Brothers and Steely Dan. And mm -hmm. then on the other side, it was definitely Claude Debussy um, and, and the French composers in particular, you know, and, and the American composers. You know, I loved Leonard Bernstein. I was very fortunate to actually work with Bernstein uh, as a fellow at Tanglewood in the, in the 1980s. So oh, wow. it was so great to meet one of my heroes and, and to be able to share music with him. But to give you an idea, I mean, he's, when he listened to a piano concerto that I'd written, he said, now that's American music. And I said, no, 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 I'm Canadian. He said, oh, it's all, we're all the same. And in some oh. ways we are and we aren't. And I think that's the parsing out that needs to happen now. We need to be less homogenous and more accepting of our differences. Yeah, how would you say that they're similar and then different, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the the particularly, uh, you know, America is big enough that there are more uh, recognizable schools of composition, you know, like composers on the East Coast tend to have a certain feel about their music that's different from the West Coast, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think in Canada, we're much smaller and we don't have that mass of people feeding off each other so that there's um, central Canadian sound. I think we have lots of great composers in different parts of Canada, but we're each more a blend of influences from different places. So I, I think it's, it, it, you know, not, not that, um, you know, American composers all you know, cling to the same type of thing in a certain right. area. Yeah. There's probably five or six different schools of composers on the East Coast who feel very comfortable uh, embracing each other's music. But I think that the 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 range is um, the range of influence inside an individual composer's work in Canada is probably more. And there's lots of uh, interesting cuisine up in Canada as well that we don't yeah, experience so, and, here. And, and I think that's, you know, well, but that's one of the things about Canadian culture that's slightly different than American culture. We produce in somewhat the same way, but by different routes. So okay. in Canada, a long time ago, we agreed to be a kind of, um, to let individual cultures stand as their traditions. We aren't into the melting pot idea. There isn't a common Canadian identity other than, you know, most people think we're nice, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so other than that, I think the variability is much more um, something that we um, kind of put on display, you know? So for example, the, in, in the, the central part of the country, um, a Ukrainian a person who came from Ukraine in one of the three waves of immigration is still very strongly connected to their roots. They haven't necessarily come to the idea of a pan-Canadian identity, you know? And, yeah. and I think in musical terms, this is quite an interesting thing because in, in the mid sixties, there was an effort on the part of the, the kind of um, nationalism uh, related to the 100th anniversary of Canada become a becoming a country that said, oh, let's use Canadian folk song. So we had composers from the West using folk songs from the East and non-Indigenous composers using Indigenous songs, you know, that mm -hmm. had been collected. And I think that's caused us a lot of trouble in recent years because we're now starting to go, hey, 
maybe it's important for people to speak their own truths, not someone else's truth. And I yeah. think that's the interesting challenge for us now as we go forward, because trying to figure out what your roots are and what you can embrace as influences that don't impinge on someone else's story. Yeah. Uh, kind of piggybacking on that, I was wondering what have been some of the biggest teaching moments for you and how do you pass that on to your students? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I began working with other Indigenous composers probably 20 years ago. And I, I think one of the most important experiences for me was writing a piece called Inuit Games with uh, two Inuit uh, throat singers or Katajak singers. They were coming from the far north. They were going to do a concert with the Winnipeg Symphony. And so I was writing the symphonic music and they were soloists doing their own tradition. So trying to find a path so that we could meet in this common place where musicality would flourish because they come from a more improvised tradition and we come from a written down tradition. Yeah. So my job, and it's a very traditional Métis job, is to kind of find this role between Western tradition and Indigenous tradition. So my whole mm -hmm. community grew up in that crack between European fur traders and the Indigenous populations that they were working with. So it's been quite natural and felt really good for me to play that role of going in between and try and explain one side to the other side. But I think in that place of finding a really positive musical experience, I learned to, to let go more. I learned that things are going to happen when two cultures come together that you don't expect. And it's better off not to try and control them, but to embrace them and let them flow as naturally as possible. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious, I've been, I interview a lot of pianists and people who studied the Baroque era heavily. And I'm wondering if improvisation was a big part of your education. And if you teach that now, since it seems to be, it's rooted in classical traditions, but I'm not so certain, but perhaps more in Indigenous music. Yeah, ab absolutely. I, th I think that the, um, the, the challenge as someone who is really, as I said, trained in the Western classical tradition was that in the first half of the 20th century, improvisation kind of was repressed a bit. You know, it was all about the perfection of realizing the score. And I've now started thinking about the score quite differently. I have a, a, a friend and, and colleague, Dylan Robinson, who deals a lot with protocols in Indigenous music. And so I'm trying to look at the score, that, that graphic representation of music, as a bit of a protocol. So in, in Indigenous traditions, one must follow the protocols of the territory that you're on. So in this territory, now I'm in Vancouver, which has very different protocols from the prairies where I, I grew up and worked for a long time. So understanding who one needs to get permission from to enter into a relationship with the music of the territory is quite different here. Hmm. We have hereditary song carriers here who have um, been, been gifted songs and only they can give permission to share those songs. Oh, wow. And, and, and so it's, it's a really different way of thinking, particularly in Western music, we just think, oh, I'll go buy the sheet music. Yeah. Well, you can't do that here. If you want to learn a song, you have to work with a traditional carrier of that song 
and hope that they will give you permission. They'll teach it to you. They'll give you permission to sing the song. Sometimes they give you permission to sing the song, but not share the song with others. So there's a lot of different subtleties that we have to learn to get used to in dealing with in Indigenous traditions. Wow, that's fascinating. Is this kind of all encompassing of what you talk about? Because you're one of the featured artists. I understand that you're performing a brand new work of yours as well. Well, they're, they're going to actually uh, watch a video of a work that I created in collaboration with some some local um, Indigenous knowledge keepers here and a choir. Um, and it's it's really to talk about this idea about protocols, because as the, I was approached by a choir to to create this work on indigenous water protocols, because in this territory, water is very important and it's part of the ceremonial life of of all the communities here. So I came and I had to explain to the choir that, OK, I'm not from this territory. I'm from a different territory. I'm also a man. So men tend to not be the key center people around water protocols that tends to be fire protocols for men and water protocols are for women so i said okay we're going to have to work with the local communities here to find out what the right pathway is what the protocols are so it's a long complicated process but very rich in that we learned a lot and um we created a piece that has um a quite a documentary component to it where Uh, various water carriers here speak about the rituals and the importance of water. Then we sing a piece where I wrote the notes, the music, but Mm. the the text came from a knowledge, like a a language keeper here, giving us the words that relate to that component of water protocols in the territory. So it's just trying to help people understand that when you're working with Indigenous music and Indigenous communities, there is a really different way that you have to work. You don't often just buy the music. I mean, you can buy the music if it's by an Indigenous composer who has all the permissions from their community to share that with you. And we certainly don't want to stop Indigenous creators from sharing their music in different ways, trying to figure out how to do that properly in modern times. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like they hold you hold such a value for your traditions and what you grew up around and you want well, that and, kind and of in large large part because they've been repressed right in canada um indigenous people were not allowed to sing their songs for almost 100 years like you could go to jail if you sang your songs you wow. could go to jail if you performed a wedding in your traditional manner or a funeral you know, your your ancestral belongings were taken away from you and given to museums. So we're we're reclaiming a culture that has been really hard pressed and and, you know, was threatened with extinction. So I think we're overly or not overly, but we're particularly uh, strong in making sure that we follow the protocols in a good way so that we can share the the richness of our culture with different people. I'm curious, like they sometimes they hear things by word of mouth when they go to a certain part of a state or country. How much 
of it for you right now is word of mouth? You said you've got friends and colleagues, or how much can you really like dive into the research in a library? That seems like it would be more rare. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to do that. I mean, I know of. Um, I mean, Canada is is interesting in in that we do have avenues to connect amongst Indigenous. Uh, musicians. Um, there's a gathering at the BAMP Center on a pretty regular basis of Indigenous musicians. They've created a manifesto of how to interact with Indigenous musicians in the context of Western classical music. So we have protocols that have been identified that you have to work with us in this manner. And I've been involved in a couple of projects where groups have tried to approach, you know, a, a, a group of creatives. Um, and say, we want you to do this. And we all share, we know each other. So we send emails back and forth. Did anybody talk to this group? Are they following the protocols? Why, why do we have to do what they want us to do? That's no longer how this works. We need to be in partnership and sharing decision-making right from the beginning. So I, th I think that, you know, we're, we're very fortunate in Canada to have not a large community, but a very sharing community of Indigenous artists who work across a variety of disciplines, some in, in, in quotes, Western classical music, and that we are establishing pretty good protocols for how we interact and how we positively share our traditions in such a way that, that the audience and the ensembles and the experience is richer in the end. Mm -hmm. But it's it's really you have to know like you and and I'm still real. I've only been in Vancouver for four years. So it's still a challenge for me to know a lot of the local musicians. So if someone wants to share a certain type of song and they they contact me because I'm a, you know, the head of a school of music and, and yeah. a, a performing arts center, they say we'd like to do this type of thing, then I have to send out my connections and say, does anyone know someone who can help this group in this area? And often they do, but sometimes they don't, you know, because the, 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 the indigenous communities here are still challenged. I mean, working on economic development and education and cultural, you know, reclamation and all these kinds of things. They're not always able to help a local performing group who wants to do a certain kind of thing. But generally, we do have access to resources and a lot of them are very personal. I think that's the difference between Indigenous communities and the Western tradition. Indigenous communities tend to interact very much on a person to person, nation to nation basis, whereas Western tradition is about copyright and ownership and commerce, you know, yeah. so you pay a fee, you pay a license, you buy the music, you can do whatever you want with it. That's not how it works when it's someone's cultural tradition. Yeah, that makes it so much more special. So I wanted to ask briefly how you became connected to Grand Canyon University. Oh, well, that, I mean, <laughs> um, Yelena, who's, who's uh, teaching there and, and running this, uh, she's in, in charge of coordinating this thing, actually did her, some of her graduate work at the University of British Columbia, where I, where I teach now. Oh, cool. And so when, when the, um, the teachings of the water piece was posted on the internet, she got a connection to that and, and watched it. And then we had a conversation about my work and about how that might uh, be of value to this conference because the the conference I mean my wife is also a piano teacher okay. um, 
she's not indigenous and and she she deals with all these kinds of things all the time so i'm, I'm certainly really conscious of how many individual music teachers are trying to figure out how to make this work how to introduce their students to a more diverse group of composers and and how to do that appropriately and i i know from my own experience that my piano teacher and my school music teacher were two of the most important influences on me as a young person they helped to shape my love of music and and my my willingness to interact with people in the community in different ways I could I looked at them as role models and I think that's a, a pretty important thing to, to continue supporting. Absolutely. It's fascinating to hear you talk about your history and culture and music. So the work you're premiering is in audio-visual composition um, on Indigenous storytelling and teachings. And I wanted to know kind of my second to last question. Have you been to uh, the Arizona area? Have I have just once before. Okay. Um, we, have we have some snowbird friends down there that we went and visited a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you'll fit right in with the culture here. These are fascinating tidbits that I'm learning so much just sitting here talking to you. What else are you looking forward to in your your career, teaching, composing, etc. Yeah, I'm. I'm I, at this point. I'm. I'm very fortunate that I have. Um, I work on commission mostly, and I work two or three years out. I mean, I run a school mm. of music, so I don't have all that much time. But my composing is still a really important part of what I do. And for me, it's about trying to really create work that connects people to the great amazing tradition of 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 my community and other indigenous communities not that i won't write other pieces now and then for uh, on on different ideas cuz you know i've written three symphonies and and oratorios and things like that so i didn't i don't always focus on indigenous topics but i think at this point in time it's important for broad audiences to have access to works that put the focus on the the amazing indigenous traditions that North America is is home to and the subtle differences between them and how we can um, share in the positive components of that as we all go forward to try and have a, a, a society that embraces more diversity, that finds strength in that and inspiration in that. Because I think that the path forward is really in the richness of this diversity because it's going to help us make better decisions about our environment, about how we treat each other and you know all, all of the things that make our lives worth living and and have help us to embrace both our individuality within our culture and the broad way that that we make a culture together wow well it seems like you're checking off all of those boxes and you were the winner of the western canadian music award for this yeah. teachings of water that you're premiering. I, I was i was very fortunate to to have that honor yeah oh well congrats this is all so fascinating is your um is your homepage the best place to find more about you or can our yeah, listeners yeah yeah com should be a good place okay well we'll direct them there and we look forward to hearing you live this june here in phoenix well thanks so much melissa real pleasure yeah thanks pat we'll talk to you soon hopefully and have a great rest of your week Bye bye 
That's Indigenous composer and music professor Dr. Pat Carabray, the featured guest artist for the Arizona State Music Teachers Association annual conference with the Grand Canyon University coming this Friday, June 2nd, which will be open to the public for the first time in ASMTA history. The conference begins June 1st, and you can find more information by heading to ASTMA.org. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.